I stand before you to officially launch my campaign for a second term as President of the United States. All those you've been knocked down, counted out, left behind, this is your campaign. Welcome to the Swing 2020. In the most uncertain year in modern history, the only predictable thing about American politics is the unpredictable. This election is no horse race. Crisis management is on the ballot. It's the incumbent Donald Trump and Vice President Joe Biden vying for the White House. But this isn't just a vote for Commander-in-Chief. It's state houses, rural congressional districts, powerful governor's mansions, and bellwether Senate seats. It's prosecutors, sheriffs, and superintendents. And the results will reveal the pulse of the American people. The swing, searching for the heartbeat of a nation, is counting us down to November 3rd. Here are your hosts, Chris Baccia and Emmanuel Berbari. It's October 29th, 2020, five days away from November 3rd, Election Day. I'm Chris Bacci with Emmanuel Barbari. We welcome you back to the Swing 2020 as we are getting very close uh, to Election Day when folks will go to the polls and vote in person as more than 60 million already in the mail. On this episode, we want to do a special down ballot coverage for you, talk about some of the critical Senate races that will decide how the upper chamber looks uh, in 2021 for uh, the next Congress. And of course, this is going to be critical if you have a new president, if he can bring along a, a Senate of his own party, you're going to see a very different agenda from if we see a divided government. So let's talk about the United States Senate, Emmanuel. Uh, right off the bat, outlook, you have 53 United States senators who are Republicans, and we're going to look at some of the critical races here. Alabama's one place to start. Let's start in Alabama. The Democrat is Senator Doug Jones. He's a Democrat in Alabama. That's probably going to be a loss to the Democrats, but there could be good news coming for them as we move along on the list. It's a thorn in their side almost because they're guaranteed in a lot of ways to lose that seat. And it's, it's like you're down one heading in. But Doug Jones, it was... Uh, critical achievement for him to get elected as a Democrat in Alabama. When you're a Democrat in Alabama, though, and you support President Trump's impeachment, and now he's on the ballot in a general election in a high turnout election year, you're probably not going to fare so well. So probably goodbye to Doug Jones. He, he's fighting as hard as he can to, to, to stave off the challenge. But uh, it does look like Tuberville will take that seat. And ultimately, the Democrats will be down one. Chris, I, I really think it's, it's important to note that a lot of things are going to need to go the Democrats way here in order yes. to take control of the United States Senate. And I'm starting to think, especially with some of these tightening races as, as Republicans come home to, to President Trump and the race becomes one that's won or lost at the presidential level by three or four states. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's probably looking like a 50-50 tie or bust at this point for the Democrats, because if they're able to pick up uh, three or four seats on top of the loss of that Alabama Senate seat, you're probably banking on the fact that you're 50-50 with the vice president, who would be Kamala Harris in that case, casting the deciding vote. I think 
as we currently stand, this complete fate of the Senate for the Democrats runs through North Carolina because that's been hotly contested from day one. You have the incumbent Tom Tillis running against Cal Cunningham, who had the upper hand for a while, then had that entire sexting scandal right. that brought him down a bit. I'm not sure if people really care that much about that in the year 2020. If, if there's any year where you're not going to care that much about a, a, a sexting mishap, it's probably this year. But without that seat, I, I just don't see a viable path to 50 Senate seats for the Democrats. And that's one where a state president Trump's probably a little favored to win. It's going to be an uphill battle for Cal Cunningham. So you're right. Let's zoom out and look at the entire Senate here. You're going to lose Senator Jones's seat, the Democrats, that is. Uh, he'll lose almost definitely to Tommy Tuberville, who was the Auburn head football coach and the Republican nominee. By the way, the GOP is thrilled that Tuberville is the nominee, and it's not Roy Moore again, who is the reason that Senator Jones is in the United States Senate uh, to begin with. So you lose that seat. That means you have to pick up doing my math here. It's, it's, four. it's four because you you're four. at... You're at 47, two independents, right. of course, caucus with, with, with the Democrats. And then right. you, you lose one, so you're at 46. You, gain, you need to gain four. So I think it starts in North Carolina because if you don't win that seat, you're down to 45. And then any gains you could make in, in the other more winnable seats aren't going to get you to that 50 threshold. So if you have to pick up four if you're the Democrats, I think the first two places you look to win seats, and okay. I do think they'll win these seats, Colorado, Arizona – Cory Gardner, vulnerable Republican in Colorado, Martha McSally, vulnerable Republican in Arizona, and respectively in Colorado, Gardner faces Hickenlooper, McSally faces uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona. Pretty strong Democratic nominees for those seats, moderate. They should be able to win seats. You see Arizona moving blue. You've seen Colorado already become blue, and we think Arizona can go blue at the presidential level. So you pick up two there still have to get two more and and i don't know how it looks let's look the at math, the next places the math becomes tough because it, those aren't sure things by the way i think hickenlooper is actually more likely than than mark kelly at this point because colorado has gone very blue over the last yes. several years and, and it's Governor. likely to be exactly it's likely to be carried by joe biden from anywhere from maybe seven to ten points i would say this year and the turnout is extremely high in that state so far Arizona, Joe Biden and his competitiveness is going to be really important to that Senate race because Democrats are close in that state and they've been creeping closer. But Joe Biden being within a point or two, which a lot of people expect, I think is critical for Mark Kelly because if, if Trump were to carry the state again by four points, that may be enough for McSally to, to, to edge it out, even though she doesn't really have that strong of a candidacy. So to start there, I think Colorado is more likely than Arizona. Kelly's a very strong candidate. I would expect him to win at this point. But as you said, the math gets tough from there. It, the it, really, tough. It, it really does. It gets tough from there. But to stay on those Western states, McSally notably lost a special election to Kirsten Cinema, who is right. the other senator there, to fill the seat of John McCain. So she's run a Senate race in that state and lost. Notably, President Trump wasn't on the ballot. President Trump now on the ballot, likely driving uh, supporters to the polls. Um, but there is this question about 
moderate Republicans in Arizona who would consider a split ticket. I'm, I'm not certain. I mean, that's possible. The split ticket becomes a real conversation, particularly in these two states, I think especially Colorado, because Colorado certainly figures to go for Joe Biden in the presidential election. The only hope for a Cory Gardner to hold on to his seat, which again, is a, it's a very slight hope, is that people would split their ticket and vote to reelect him as the United States Senator and then vote for Joe Biden. I don't think that's likely. On the other side, uh, in Arizona, I also don't think it's likely uh, that you would see Republicans vote to reelect uh, a Martha McSally, but then vote for a Joe Biden. So I, I, I don't know that I buy much into this split ticketing idea, but I think in both races, there are candidates who are hoping that that's how it goes. It's interesting because I think it almost hurt Hillary Clinton in 2016 that that most forecasts had her, her winning the election and winning big. And right. that hurt the Democrats at the congressional level because a lot of people will vote split ticket in the, in the sense that they expect a certain presidential candidate to win. I don't think that's the case with Joe Biden this time around where people are cautiously optimistic enough where the, the presidential race right now sure. is lean Biden, I'd classify it as, but they're not certain he's going to win. So it's not like they're going to look to check him if they're a moderate Republican at the congressional level as much as they would with someone like Clinton, who, who they maybe thought was a shoo-in to be the next president and ended up not to be. So I think you're going to see less split ticketing this year. So that's why I say in a state like Arizona, Biden's competitiveness and maybe edging out that state, I think is really important to someone like Mark Kelly. I agree with you. And I, I think it's true that it's on the consciousness of voters that there was uh, last time around, it was lean Democrat at the presidential level, and it didn't shake out that way. So voters certainly have that on mind. And there's no question that Joe Biden has unified the Democratic Party in a way that you did not see in 2016, where you had the splinter of Sanders. And that's not the case here. Every Democrat has gotten behind Joe Biden. The next two races to look at is really what you're talking about when you say the Senate goes through North Carolina. Look, if you're Democrats in this hypothetical world, you have to pick up these four states. The two that I just mentioned, you have to pick up Colorado. They probably will. You have to pick up Arizona. Agree with you. It may be a little bit more difficult. But then you have to pick up Senator Collins' seat in Maine. That's going to be really tough. You have to pick up Senator Top Tillis' seat in North Carolina. Another tough race. This is, let's start with Collins, because she may be the most interesting member of the United States Senate. She wins her Senate race the last time around, six years ago, by 36 points. Oh, Highly, 36. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, how do you lose be, six years later? It would be hard to predict that she would lose that seat that she's been in for so long, a staple in the state of Maine, but gets a really formidable uh, opponent in Democrat Sarah Gideon, the House Speaker there uh, of the state legislature, very interesting race between two women who have feuded. Senator Collins, of course, not voting with Donald Trump on everything. She knows he can't run on Donald Trump's coattails. Donald Trump will not be winning the state of Maine. He, he, could he get one of the congressional districts? He could, but he won't be winning that state. So again, somebody who is dependent on people who will split the ticket, it's going to be a lot closer than 36 points, but I'd be surprised to see Susan Collins uh, lose her seat in Maine. It's such a fascinating race because she is heavily relying on those ticket splitters. Maine's an interesting state in that you have a second congressional district that went to Donald Trump by about eight points in 2016. But the rest of the state is heavy blue because if it's not for that second district, 
Trump isn't even competitive by any measure in the state of Maine. So in a, in a year where I don't think there's going to be too much ticket splitting, you have someone who's relying on ticket splitting to keep her seat in Susan Collins. And I really think her being the one to defect from, from Amy, Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation, that's a calculated reelection move. And that, oh, yeah. is, that is completely orchestrated because the Republicans knew they already had the votes and she's trying to be more consistent with, with, with how she plays to, to her, her base of voters. So I think there are going to be a lot of Republicans in that state who say, I'm done with Susan Collins. In the other races, it may not be that case. And there may just be Republicans who want to send a message. So I really think this one goes down to the wire. And it's, it's crazy that we're saying that for someone who, who won by such a massive margin six years ago. But there really wasn't a challenge to her in the past. And now there is. And there's also a resentment in, within the party of people who do not go along with the agenda of the current president. And I think Trump's been able to consolidate a lot of that base. And I think it may backfire on Collins at the end of the day. But I would, I would favor her at the end of the day. I, I wouldn't get, put this as lean Gideon by any stretch. It's an uphill battle, and it's going, to, it's going down to the wire. It's a, it's a pure toss-up. I wouldn't say lean Collins. I wouldn't say lean Gideon. But, you know, again, you're talking about a challenger here. Um, and that, by default, probably makes you the underdog. At the same time, we've previewed here, a lot has changed in Republican politics in the last six years. This is a party that went from Mitt Romney to Donald Trump. They are their sworn enemies. So it's a different Republican party. And of course, uh, Mitt Romney, who once was a, a New England Republican, now he's a Utah Republican. But New England Republicans, a dying breed. Susan Collins is perhaps one of the last surviving. Um, so again, absolutely dependent on people who will go vote for Joe Biden, but then also cast their ballot for a Republican senator and Susan Collins. And when you say that she made a calculated choice uh, to confirm Justice Barrett, to not confirm Justice Barrett, absolutely she did. And I'm sure Mitch McConnell didn't even mind. I'm sure he had a conversation and said, you can vote no, I've got the votes. I have 52 other votes in exactly. my pocket. Go the other way here. We need you in the United States Senate in 2021. She, of course, voted to confirm Justice Kavanaugh in 2018. So, so she's kind of a flip-flopper in that respect. And I think there was a lot of calculation there because that's part of the reason we were skeptical they'd even confirm Barrett before the election. These are competitive Senate races that are shaping up. So they must have seen, okay, in certain ways, we, we can get the best of both worlds. We can have the votes to confirm Barrett and hold on to some of these races and, and retain our majority. I think they saw in Maine that her best shot was to stick to her guns and stick to what she's been representing the last few years, which is that more anti-Trump Republican stance. So it, it's fascinating. It, it really is. But I, I think that's another one. The Democrats, if they want any shot at this, they're going to need uh, Gideon to shock the world in a sense and, and, and dethrone someone who's been in the Senate for a very long time. And money pouring into that race. Uh, another race that's similarly uh, gotten a lot of attention is probably the fourth here that Democrats will need to flip, and that's Senator Tillis' seat. Interesting race here. Cal Cunningham is the Democratic nominee, polling ahead of Tillis in a state that has also polled well for Joe Biden, a state that Joe Biden thinks he has a chance of flipping in the Sun Belt. This is going to be tough. I would say perhaps even tougher than the Collins race for Democrats to flip. 
Cal Cunningham had a bit of a sex scandal, um, which which really uh, is upsetting uh, Democrats who want to flip this seat. Tillis votes with uh, Trump on on the nominee. And this is the kind of thing where, unlike Senator Collins, who benefits from defecting and benefits from opposing the president, Senator Tillis may do well if he runs on the coattails of President Trump. President Trump on the ballot may benefit him in the sense that there's a chance you have North Carolina Republicans who drive out for the president. And in that case, they'll be happy to see that Senator Tillis voted for all three of his justices uh, and sits on that Judiciary Committee, was able to to make a, a bit of a statement in front of Justice Barrett. So everybody with their eyes on this race, I think you said it at the top correctly, this probably is the one uh, that would be the only chance at the Democrats uh, taking over the United States Senate. And I think it starts and ends here. You also have a situation where we mapped it out. The Democrats lose one in Alabama. They probably gain one in Colorado, if we're just being frank here. So that cancels out. And then the rest we're talking about are pure toss-ups. I would put Arizona at a toss-up right now. I would put Maine at a toss-up. I put North Carolina at a toss-up. So the Democrats' hopes of of flipping this chamber, and by flipping, I mean 50-50, because that that would allow them uh, to, right. to to really push their agenda with a, with the vice president, who's who's a Democrat as well at that point. Those hopes lie at three toss-up races, which is really. It, it makes you locked in. It, it makes you really want to be engaged and excited on election night because you really don't know how it's going to go. Now, I, I would I would note this, that there is a race in Michigan that I think is going to go down to the wire as well. You have Gary Peters, who's probably expected to hold his seat, but John James has been a very strong candidate on the Republican side. And let's say that President Trump is very competitive in Michigan at the presidential level, which we expect again. He's shown some strength in certain polls in Michigan, at least as of late. I would think that goes down to the wire. So some of those dark horse under the radar races, you definitely don't want to discount as we look towards the Democrats potentially making a run at this thing because Peters was expected to hold it, but John James, I think, is going to give him a run for his money. The Iraq war veteran, and I think you're right to point out Michigan, especially we think Michigan needs to be in the president's column if he wants to win right. in, all, in all likelihood. So is it possible that they surprise again in, in a state that, of course, is moving red? But Democrats, for their part, may have more dark horse candidates than Republicans do because that would True. probably be the only one on my list is surprising Republican flip of an incumbent Democrat. But Democrats have, by the way, they have the energy of being the opposing party. Two races True. that have seen a ton of money poured into Mitch McConnell's race in, in, in Kentucky, <laughs> yeah. as the, you know, ruby red Kentucky getting money for, for the Democratic nominee there. And there's a lot of energy in the Jamie Harrison and uh, Lindsey Graham race, people wanting to unseat Lindsey Graham. Two, probably the two faces of the GOP right now in the Senate and two guys that have, have endeared a lot of uh, anger from the left in the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, who forced through Amy Coney Barrett in 30 days, and Mitch McConnell, who of course keeps the entire caucus together, the entire conference together. But Democrats are looking at other races. They're looking at Iowa in Joni Ernst's seat, where there's a Democrat, Teresa Greenfield, who looks fairly formidable She's sort of drawn this contrast with Joni Erst as I'm a real Iowan. I'm a I'm a I'm a farm kid is what she <laughs> called herself. And and she knew the she knew how much uh 
the corn of Cobb costs and everything like this. The Georgia race with Senator Perdue is one that they have a formidable John Ossoff. And Montana, finally, is the last one where Steve Daines is the sitting Republican. And you have, uh, you have uh, Governor Bullock, who has been the Democratic governor in a state that went heavily for Trump. Again, dependent on split ticketers. Not sure how likely that is. But those are the three dark horses for Democrats where they're looking to potentially flip a surprising seat. So basically, you, you hit it on the head, Chris, that the Democrats have more areas to shock the world almost in, right. in, in this election than the Republicans. In Michigan, could James win that seat and flip it from Peter? Sure. But that's maybe the one where we're talking about Republicans, maybe a, a dark horse out of the blue, thorn right. in the Democrat side. On the Democrat side, if they're going to have a dream night, let's say, a dream night where Biden wins the presidency by a large margin, they hold the House, and they completely take control of the Senate by a convincing margin, you're talking about probably Lindsey Graham in South Carolina having a very competitive race. And that's why it's gotten so much money, so much attention, because I think there is a lot of resentment towards Lindsey Graham, even on the, uh, on the Republican side a little bit, for being so flip-floppy and, and, mm. and not being true to his word in, in a lot of different ways. So would I expect Graham to hold the seat? Absolutely. But if it's a dream night for Democrats, I think Jamie Harrison with the money he's spending probably makes it very competitive. And Further, as part of that dream night, you probably pick up one in Iowa, and you're, you're probably looking at a flip in Georgia as well, because in all the polling, you have Ossoff running very heavily with Purdue. And that's another state where trending blue over the last couple of years, a lot of, a lot of formidable forecasters here are thinking Georgia, even if it goes to President Trump, only by a couple points this time around. Yep. So that's why you have Trump going to Georgia in the final two weeks of a re-election campaign, which shouldn't be where a, where a prominent Republican is heading if they want to win the presidential election. And Joe Biden was there two days ago. Uh, Joe Biden is spending money in Georgia and visiting Georgia in the final week of a presidential campaign where he needs the Midwest. That is remarkable for a Democratic candidate to be in Georgia making his final case. And you have Mike Bloomberg now looking to spend money in Georgia and Texas in the final week and blitz the airwaves. So that is a, that is a prominent position for a Democrat nominee to be. It really is. Let's take it a is. step back here and notice how well Joe Biden is doing for that to be the case. So if it's a dream night for Democrats, I think the Georgia seat is definitely in play. We'll see how it goes. It probably goes Republican. But the fact that they have these three potential pickups on top of what they could already do with these toss-ups to flip the Senate, shows you that the Democrats, even though it's a toss-up in the Senate, are in a position of strength. I think it's a good point. And if you see Georgia flip, you can really look at South Carolina closely as being a race where, again, national attention on Lindsey Graham in a re-election campaign. And he has aligned himself with President Trump as closely as one could um, on the hopes that the president will carry South Carolina by a, a large margin. Um, and, and, and fascinating stuff. You're right. It's a dream night is really the discussion when you're talking about South Carolina, Georgia, Iowa being in play. But I know this for sure. If those three states are in play and close, then you're talking about the potential. And again, there's a national attitude here um, that you're going to see expressed on election night, that you really are talking about North Carolina being flipped, Maine being flipped from a, a Susan Collins mainstay, Arizona, and of course, Colorado, which is a little bit more likely. So that is the outlook on the United States Senate. It, it, it really doesn't get 
higher stakes than this. And again, tight, tight races. Democrats polling really well, but again, we don't really want to invest too much into that, especially after 2016. And you're right to mention Vice President Biden in the American South campaigning as a Democrat a week before the election. He deploys his former boss, the president, in the Midwest, in Michigan. And uh, there's just a lot of intrigue here. And it, uh, for those who are skeptical that a state like Georgia is in play, for the Biden campaign, which has been very measured in its approach, very realistic, you have the campaign manager, General Mally Dillon, basically saying, these polls are wrong. There's a very close race and not really going all in with the funds, consolidating them into the states they need to win, like Arizona, like North Carolina, like the three upper Midwest states we spend so much time on, and Florida with the help of Mike Bloomberg. They've been very honest and transparent that they expect this to go down to the wire. The fact that they are going to places like Georgia and Set, deploying surrogates to a state like Texas with, with, with Jill Biden uh, going there, the, the former second lady, you, you know that they are in a position of strength. They would not be going to these places in the final week when it's crunch time, when they haven't made a lot of trips, to be frank, over the last couple of weeks. They wouldn't be going if there wasn't a shot. So I, I think Georgia is going to be very competitive. And how a state like Georgia goes on election night and whether it's tight will tell us a lot about the, the upper Midwest and different parts of the country. Because if Joe Biden's running tight, even if he loses the state, you know he's in a good spot to win the presidential election. If Trump carries it by five points like he did in 2016, we're probably going down to the wire. And six states that we have our eyes on. Six battlegrounds. We told you at the beginning, it remains the case. It's the Rust Belt, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. It's the Sun Belt, Arizona, North Carolina, Florida. Keep your eyes open on those seats. We are five days away from the election. By the way, somehow that's enough time for things to still change. So get to the polls. Uh, you'll see Americans lining up for hours, and we're talking about record turnout. Tens of millions already sending in their ballots via mail, and we want to keep you updated all throughout. So we'll check in shortly with you on a presidential race that we didn't even spend a lot of time on here as we broke down the United States Senate, because there's a lot of importance in that, too, when we talk about what the American government looks like in 2021. It's a congressional conversation as well. So that is where we will leave it. Five days away from Election Day. For Emmanuel Barbari, I'm Chris Baccia. This is The Swing 2020. We'll see you next time.